Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. To hear more sermons and to find out more about our church, please visit sugarhillchurch.com. Y'all have a seat. If you got your Bible, find the book of Acts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts in the New Testament, and in the second chapter. We're going to kind of uh, loosen up your thumbs and use a lot of scripture today. I believe that when we say what kind of church we are, we ought to be able to support that and it not just be uh, my plan or a staff plan or a deacon's plan or anything else. We ought to do what we do because the Bible says it. You see, we have people here who are in two camps where I believe the Bible and the Bible is the directive for my life. And we have people that say, well, you know, it's a good book and it might could help me. But the fact of the matter is it kind of sits on the shelf and I don't really do anything with it. We kind of have two different people here. You say, well, can't you be both? Okay, you ready? No, you really can't. You see, we say we're a church that believes the Bible from Genesis to maps and it has no error and that because of that, that is where everything starts here. It is the authoritative word of God. And we believe that to be without error. We believe God literally breathed out scripture to men who were guided by his spirit to pen what he breathed. Now, let me unpack that word breathe a minute ago you did this what you and when you did that what did you do you took something in now watch that when you went what did you do you breathed out what was in what God did when he breathed out scripture was he took the essence of himself and breathed that out so that men who were guided by his spirit could pin that for you and I. Now, here's what we believe, and you can watch this on the screen, and this is a big, big statement. As a matter of fact, I am pleading with you that at this time, I want you to look at the screen and I want you to follow this statement. Here, here's what we believe about the Bible. Are you ready? We believe the Holy Bible, both Old and New Testaments, to be the inspired Word of God communicated by God through spirit-controlled men without error in their original writing, containing the complete revelation of God's will for the salvation of mankind, along with the divine and authoritative teachings for the Christian faith and life. Now, you say, well, Chuck, how, how do you support that when you say you need to support it biblically? Well, if you want to flip over or you can look at the screens in the New Testament in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, here's what it says. Scripture, the Bible, Scripture is breathed out by God. Now, let me, let me remind you, breathed out, that term, that perspective in its most simplistic state is this. God literally unloaded his heart through a breath, the truth of all life. And we happen to call it the Bible. Breathed out by God and profitable, meaning good for, upside, really cool, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in, now watch this church word, in righteousness. Now we have a tendency to take righteousness and put it into a negative connotation. We have this, we, we think about things that are self-righteous. Or we think about this, we think about righteous, what? 
Indignation, yeah. And so what happens is, if we're not careful, righteousness gets lost in its definition. Well, let me, let me boil righteousness down to its most simplistic state to make sure we're all on the same page here, okay? Think of it this way. Here we are in all of our faults, all of our fears, all of our sin, and God comes along and takes this cloth of righteousness and wraps us up in it because we have no hope of being more like him and being righteous apart from him taking over us. Are you with me? And so in the, in the short version, what would we, what are we being trained for? For right, in righteousness. Well, in verse 17, it goes on and says that the man of God, now ladies, don't check out on me here, because the man of God literally would look like this. For the person that's willing, to follow God, for the person that's willing to trust God. Hmm. May be complete, equipped. Why? For every good work. Now watch this. So when we say, let's go into our community and let's go serve our community, let's go love people, we don't go serve people because we're good. We go serve people because the presence of Christ within us is good. And you say, well, Chuck, I'm, I'm good. Okay, let me, let me settle something. The only good we offer is the presence of Christ within us. Our nature is not good. We need Christ so that we might live in his righteousness. Here's what the message takes that passage and says. There's nothing like the written word of God for showing you the way to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Every part of scripture is God-breathed and useful one way or another, showing us truth, Exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way. Through the word, we are put together and shaped up for the task God has for us. Now, let me, let me just stop and say, if today you are a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, meaning you've said, you know what? God, please forgive me of my sin. Please come into my heart in the presence of Jesus who died on the cross and paid for my sin and shed his blood for me. I want to turn my life around. I, I want to repent. I, I'm sorry. I want to live for you. And if you've done that in the Holy Spirit, then he said, I, I'm going to own you. I'm going to take over you. I'm going to be the boss of your life from now on. And you said, ooh, good. And if that's, if that's the world that you are in today, then literally what Scripture is saying is this. I got a job for you. I, I got a task for you. I, I'm ready for you. Now, if you've got a pen, pencil, lipstick, or mascara, I'd love for you to take some notes. Number one, first, the Bible is relevant to our lives because the Bible provides us with accountability to God. Now, accountability has become a four-letter word in America. And let me just say, those of you that are involved in social media, I mean, all you have to do is look at this guy running for mayor in New York and look at why we need accountability. Are you with me? Okay, now let me remind you, but by the grace of God, that's you. Let's be careful how, how we point that out, but by the grace of God, that's you. Could I remind you that you show me a man or you show me a woman that's not willing to be held accountable, you can mark this down, that man or that woman is going to mess up. You take a pastor and you don't put a people around him to hold him accountable, you know what he'll do? His head will blow up, his heart will blow up, and he'll think it's all about him, and I've seen it happen over and over and over and again. You know what my prayer has to be every day? God deliver me from being that guy. Because you see, without accountability, what happens is we mess up. 
Focus on the Family did a study of 400 ministry leaders who blew it, who made poor moral decisions, lost their ministry, lost their families, lost their marriages. And you know why? They all had one commonality. They weren't accountable to anybody. The Bible is an opportunity for us to be held accountable to God. All scriptures, God breathed. Second, the Bible is relevant to our lives because the Bible provides us with authority for what and why we believe. It's the authority for our beliefs. The second part of verse 16 says, and it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So here's the question this morning, are you willing to settle for less than God's best? Not rhetorical, so let me try it again. Are you willing to settle for less than all God wants you to have? No, of course not. I mean, nobody this morning say, you know, God, I, I just want a little bit of you. I don't want all of you. I don't want all your goodness. I don't want all your riches. I don't want all that you have for me. I, I just want to dip my toe in the water. Boy, that my toe feels good. We want it all. But listen, that's because the Bible is relevant to our lives and gives us authority for what and why we believe righteousness to act more like Jesus and less like us, to be right in our relationship with God in every way. You know, some people believe if it feels good, it must be good. That's why the Bible gives us direction between what our emotions are and what our convictions are. But see, some folks also go on and say, well, you know, if other people believe, well, if everybody else is doing it, it must be right. You know what, I, I, my favorite saying of our high schoolers is this, when you say, well, who's going? And you know what the answer is? Well, everybody. Well, how about that? 30 million people going to the ball game. Well, you know, not everybody, just everybody. Oh, it's a different definition of everybody. And you say, who's everybody? Well, my friends, all of them? Well, no, who? Well, my BFFs, well, who's that? You know, before long, we start whittling it down. Listen, if we're not careful, we will think because it is common, it's right. If we're not careful, we will fall into some of believing it's cool, it's right. Because, you see, there's another group of people that believe that, you know, it's not just everybody else is doing it, but believe that the current is correct. So whatever whatever's happening in our culture, we need to adapt to and become that culture. All I would say to you is this, there is one thing that should never change. And there's one thing that will not change. And there is one thing that is everlasting. And that is God himself and his word will never change. And it will always return profitable for which it was sent. You say, well, how do you know that? Because God made a promise and God can't lie. That's why we believe in the Bible. You say, well, you know what, Chuck? I, I'm not one of those people that believes in friends and fads and feelings. You know, the good news is you don't have to be one of those people. You, you have the Bible to guide your beliefs about what's true and false, good and bad, right and wrong, what's sinful and righteous. The Bible's been around for, for more than 1,500 years without any need for correction. And, and people at every age, culture, and career have testified to the Bible's authority for belief. Now, third, the Bible's relevant to our lives because the Bible provides us with adequacy for our behaviors adequacy for our behaviors. In verse 17, what does it say? So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work, or to put it another way, so that the person who wants to live according to God's way can do it successfully. I've, I've heard it said by preachers forever. I've heard it in, I've heard it in this church that, that these teachings of Jesus are hard. You know, 
That, that, that might be true in some instance, but could I just remind you? They're not complicated either. I mean, we make them hard, but, but they're not complicated. I mean, God's not playing hide and seek with us. Jesus didn't give us 700 rules and say, check them off. I mean, all the religious people of the day came up with hundreds of rules and said, well, if you really love God, you got to do all this. And people like me and you looked at the list and said, dear Lord, there's no way I can do all that, right? Shoot me now, right? So, they, so Jesus comes along and those same people said, what matters most? And what did Jesus say? Well, I'll tell you what, love God, how? With all your being and love others. How? As you love yourself. And then some of us look at in the mirror and say, you know, I, I just don't love me. It's not a lot to love here. Okay, you know how you fix that? Replace you with the presence of Jesus. And then when you look at you, you can say, wow, I can love me because of the presence of Jesus. You say, well, how do I do that? Well, it's real simple. Lord, forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart. Be my life. Be my Savior. I want to repent. I want to turn away. I want to live for you. Come own me and direct me. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Boom, done. You say, you look in the mirror. Well, how can I love me? I can love me like Jesus loves me. So what do I do? I love God. I love others. And, and, and the people scratch their head and say, why? There's got to be something. Let me, let me help you with something. If you're watching a TV preacher or, or you're out at some other church and some cat breaks out a sermon or, or a lesson that says, here's seven ways to love God more. Here's, here's eight ways to succeed in Jesus. He's making that stuff up. Because Jesus didn't make this complicated. He, he took the word of God and he said, thus saith the Lord. And you know what the Lord said? Love God and love other people. Yeah, but there's always folks out there who say, but yeah, you know what I want to know? Bless God, Chuck. I want to know what the Bible says about drinking. But I want you to preach on alcohol. That's what I want you. You wear them out, Chuck. You tell them. Or I got the cat, you know, he's finishing cutting his grass and he wants to have a cold bud. And you know, you know he's, I, I want to know where I can do that. You, you know what I have to say? You know, I'm not going to go preach about drinking. Because you get Jesus right, you'll know the answer. Well, I want you to go preach about, about gambling. Well, you just get Jesus right, you'll know the answer. You say, well, Chuck, why, why don't we preach on, on all those issues? You know why? Because you get Jesus right, everything, you get the answers. You see, I don't need you to live what I believe. I need you to believe, I need you to live what he believes. I don't need you to live how I tell you. As a matter of fact, you ought to check me up on everything I say biblically and make sure what I say, you ought to hold me accountable for what I say up here. That I know it, that I live it, that I believe it. You, you Check me up on everything. I look at that and I say, the, the third, the Bible is relevant for our lives because the Bible provides us with adequacy for our behaviors. It was never designed to be complicated. The Bible, in a very real way, is the eternal success manual. It gives us instruction on how to succeed in our relationship with God, in, in our relationship with our family, with relationships in our work. It gives us direction, period. Now, if you're one of those people that wants to succeed in life, if you're one of those folks that wants to make sure that you've left an imprint on this planet, your life counted for something, if you're one of those folks that wants to look back and say, my life counted, I want to put my head on the pillow and know I did something of value today, then here's where you got to start, with the Bible. you got to start with God because you can't end with him if you don't start with him. And so what I'd say to you is if you're in one of those dead-end jobs trying to figure out what in the world do I do, get in the Bible. Let him speak to you. He said, Chuck, I just don't understand it. You know why you don't understand it? You never tried it. And the easiest thing to do is, I just don't understand. Well, you know, one time I didn't understand algebra. 
And Mr. Jones at Seabreeze Middle School looked at me and said, Chuck, one of these days, you're going to get it. And you know what I thought? Mr. Jones, you're an idiot. I'm never going to get algebra. And he, I'll never forget him. He said, why don't you hang around after school? What? And, and I'll teach you how to do these equations. I went home and told my mom that. You know what she said? I think you ought to do it. What? So I did. I show up Mr. Jones' class. He'd get on the, he's, okay, do this. What's the, and you know, after about four times, you know what happened? He was right. Light came on. I got it. You see, the problem is most of us look at the Bible one time and say, eh, I'd rather read Pat Conroy. I'd, I'd rather read Grisham. I'd rather read Sports Illustrated. And we, and, we, and we don't give it a try. So what I'd say to you is make sure you jump in. Listen, I want to give you this thought. I don't read the Bible because I'm spiritual or I'm wise. Quite frankly, it's, it's, it's the opposite. I read the Bible because I'm not by nature spiritual. And by my nature and my intellect, I'm not wise. But I want to know him and I want his wisdom, so I read the Bible. You see, in almost every discipline, you're going to find references to the Bible. Psychology, science, health, business, philosophy, art, relationships, spirituality. The Bible contributes significantly in all these areas because God is the creator of all that there is. So we're not perfectible this side of heaven, and people who study the Bible know they're accountable to God. In essence, you are what you consume. I mean, some of you, if you are what you eat, you're a jelly roll. And some of you, if you are what you eat, you're a kale chip, which is just gross. But, but you get the point, right? You are what you consume. Now watch this. If you are what you consume, watch this. Now, some of you have good consumption, and therefore there's good to experience. Some of you had bad consumption, and there's bad experience. And many, if not most of you, have no consumption, so there's no experience. You see, if you're not willing to take the very literal words of God and pour them in you, how on earth are you going to pour them out? If you don't allow them to change your nature, how are you going to change the nature of the world? You see, you know what we like to do? We like to turn on Fox News and point out what's wrong with everybody. And could I say to you, as followers of Jesus, as the church of the living God, we got to stop pointing our fingers at what's wrong in the world, and we got to go be the change in the world, which is Jesus living in us, through us, and out of us which would have been a great time for an amen. The problem is it touches our feet a little too hard, doesn't it? You see, that, that's, that's why the Bible, see, without growing up in Christ intimately and accountably, account, accountably and in relationships, what can happen to some of us is we show up here at 11 o'clock or for many of you, 1120, and we... We hide in a big room like this and we raise our hands and we clap and we enjoy a service. We love Hector. We love Becca and we, you know, we love to hear Megan. We love to hear, uh, Leanne. And we love all the guys who play and all that's cool. And Mark's really cool. We love all that. And then what happens is we think I could put a check next to church and my walk with Christ and I leave and we never get into a smaller group of people and dig into the word of God. And let me just say to you, if that's the case, what's happening is you're consuming about a third of what you should consume. You're living on about 800 calories of God for the week. Now, let me ask you a question. What if your marriage was this way? What if the only time you saw your spouse was between 11 and 1210 every Sunday? And while you were there, he said, honey, I love you. 
This is great. Isn't church sweet today? You hold hands, you goo goo eyes, you even leech over, give her a little kiss on the cheek. I love you, baby. And then you're gone. You walk out the door and she's like, I'll see you next week. Love you. You know what's going to happen? Your marriage is going to stink. And it's, it's going to go down and it's going to fall apart. You know what I've realized? We build relationships and time for that which we love. And we don't build relationships and time for those things we don't care about. So let me ask you something. When's the last time you determined to build a relationship with God and time with him and his word? Now look at that and you say, well, Chuck, wait a minute. How do we do that at Sugar Hill Church? Well, it's pretty simple. We take three different ways. On Sunday morning, we have what's called growth groups. If you've been around church forever like me, you might know it as Sunday school. And, and people gather on Sunday morning and they go into a classroom at 9.30 or 11 and they have a teacher and they have an outreach leader and they have a, a prayer communicator and typically somebody handles all the social stuff and they go in and they teach the Word of God and they got about an hour there. And what happens is on Sunday morning when it's convenient for you already to be here, they go to a class. And right after Labor Day, we start a whole new bank of existing classes and new classes on Sunday morning called growth groups for you to make it easy to get connected to and be a part of that. You say, well, Chuck, are you saying that it's more important to be in a smaller group than to just come to worship. Okay, you ready? Yes. Absolutely, positively. But you need both. You need to come here and worship corporately, and you need to worship freely, and you need to worship in spirit and truth, and you need to be encouraged. But you need to get in a smaller group where you can grow up in Christ. You need to get in a smaller group where people know how to minister to you and care for you. You know, here's what happens. Now, let me be brutally honest. Let me welcome you into a pastor land. You ready? Something happens in your family and catastrophe strikes. And the only person that you know any connection to in the life of the church is the pastor who stands up here on Sunday morning or maybe Bobby who, who preaches every now and then or Hector who sings. And so you call him and you say, boy, we really need help. And we want to help and we will help and we try to help. And the problem is, how much better would that be if you knew about 12 or 15 people in a smaller group that you were growing up in Christ in and those people reached out and ministered to you and cared for you and prayed for you and loved on you and they were your friends and they knew you by your first name and, and you knew them by their first name and, and life became together and it became easy, not in a judgmental fashion, but because of this one thing, because whether it's a growth group, a community group or a life on life group at this church from this day forward, we don't start with fellowship, we start with the Bible. You see, when a relationship is built on the solid rock of the Word of God, fellowship comes naturally. Outreach comes naturally. Ministry comes naturally. Relationships come naturally. You know why they come naturally? Because they are built on the very central point of the Word of God, the power and the presence of God. You see, people want to reach out and help you, not because you're in need, but because they love you, because they have been grounded in the Word of God with you. You say, well, Chuck, wait a minute. Are you saying those smaller groups of learning are more powerful than learning and worship? Yeah, I really am. We have three ways. We have growth groups that happen on Sunday mornings. We're launching after Labor Day, a group called community groups that are Bible focused in homes all around the county. And you say, well, Chuck, what, what, why on earth would we, would we do that? Because many of you already serve on Sunday mornings. Many of you can only be here for one hour on Sunday mornings. Many of you would rather go into somebody's home than to go into a class. I hear it's all kind of a host of reasons. You say, well, you know what, Chuck? I believe the church was built to bring people in, not for the church to go out there and do church in, in, in homes. 
really? You really need to read the book of Acts. Where, where the church started with about 120 people and grew to over 50,000, and you want to know where they put them? In homes. They put them in homes. They put them in smaller groups. You say, well, you know, Chuck, is, how, how can it be smaller yet more powerful? Well, let me give you a few ideas. In Gideon's army in Judges 7, there's 160,000 mean, nasty Midianites, and Gideon has 30,000 soldiers to battle them. God promises Gideon victory, and he says, but you got too many men. What? 30,000 against 160,000? This isn't good. So, so God says, tell you what, ask if they're afraid. They tell them they can go home. 20,000 men leave. Now it's 10,000 versus 160. We're getting worse. And then God looks at the 10,000 and says, whoa, 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 whoa. Way too many dudes. Take them down by the river, see how they drink. If they drink one way, send them home. He's left with 300 guys. 300 guys against 160,000. You know what Gideon's thinking? Not good. I mean, this is Pop Warner Pee Wee football, you know, against the Green Bay Packers. Right? Now watch what happens. Those 300 defeat 160,000. He took the small and he did something big. David and Goliath, you got a nine foot tall guy who's got a whole nation shaking in their boots. They sent a runny little kid in there to defeat him. Well, what about, what about where Jesus was born in Bethlehem? He could have been born in the central part of Jerusalem, but he's in a podunk town called Bethlehem, small. What about the feeding of the 5,000? He took a small little basket. How, what was it? Five fish, two loaves. And he fed 5,000 people. Listen, throughout Scripture, God's done an amazing thing with less. So I want to give you this quick outline, and then we'll wrap up and go home. Community and growth groups are a powerful way to grow spiritually. In, in Acts chapter 2, in verse 42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Can you grow spiritually without being a part of a community group? Well, sure you can. I mean, you, you can join a gym and never get healthy. Like I, I go down here to Bodyplex in Buford. My, my trainer, twice a week before I come, he sends me a text. And you know what it says? Start breathing deeply. I'm going to kill you today. <laughs> well, bless the Lord, you know. But you know what? I don't show up because I joined the gym. I showed up because he held me accountable. I show up because he, he, he wants the best for me. I show up because results and the change in my life matter. That's what a community group does. You know, I mean, as a matter of fact, if, if you think about it, I mean, it's just, it's how you experience life together. But how can you know you're growing spiritually unless you're in a community group? Well, think about it. I'm a great football player. Okay, how do you know that? Because when I get out on the field all by myself, I run a 4-2-40. And when I hit that sled, I push it everywhere. And when I'm out there by myself, I am beastly. I can tackle that dummy like nobody's business. But how do you know you're good? When you get on the field with other people, and now I have somebody to help me walk through life. I got to get in the game. Okay, Chuck, now I've got you. I don't think other people need to know if I'm growing spiritually or not. Well, in Acts chapter 6, verse 3, it says, Choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. Somebody thought it was important. Somebody thought it was important to know, are you growing? 
Are you an encouragement? Are you moving forward? Listen, community groups that are done right are a powerful way to grow spiritually. And by community group done right, we mean that it all starts with the Bible. Fellowship and outreach and relationships are founded upon, built upon, and shared upon one central truth, that the Bible matters in every facet of our life. You see, but you say, but I don't really need a small group if I want to study the Bible. Well, that's true. I mean, you can go to Right Now Media that we offer you, and you can buy books, and you can watch CDs, and you can go to podcasts, and you can go to, you know, uh, all kinds of amazing tools out there online. But the fact of the matter is, a community group is a great place to grow spiritually. One reason is accountability. First Timothy 4, 8 in, in, in 8 through 10 says this, bodily exercise is all right, but spiritual exercise is much more important and is a tonic for all you do. So exercise yourself spiritually and practice being a better Christian because that will help you not only now in this life, but in the next life too. This is the truth and everyone should accept it. You see the key is application. How does God take his word, apply it to my life, and now I change? You say, well, I don't know. Then that's why you ought to be in a community group to help you know. Community groups are also a powerful way to grow relationally. I mean, you can get, uh, you, you can get to really know other believers but you can't really get to know them unless you're in a smaller group, a community group. Look at it this way. Because all the believers in our passage were connected to a smaller group, everyone's needs were met. You think, well, wow, that's great. Chuck, I, I need to be a part of that. But if you're like me, I need to know why. Because when I know why, I sacrifice, I serve, I participate, and I'm a part of everything. But why should I do these things? One, the need for accountability. We all need to be held accountable. I mean, we need to jump in. Galatians 6.1, if a Christian is overcome by some sin who are godly through gently and humbly, help him back onto the right path. Remembering the next time, it might be one of us who's wrong. We ought to be held accountable in person, in love. Well, we need, the, we need encouragement. We need to be encouraged. Hebrews 10.25, don't neglect our church meetings, but encourage and warn each other. I mean, we need the need for service. I mean, 1 Corinthians 12.7, the Holy Spirit displays God's power through each of us as a means of helping the entire church. Smaller groups, community groups are a powerful way to live out the Great Commission. Let me invite our band to come on up as we get ready to wrap up today. But listen, I, I want to make sure you get this. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, go. Notice he didn't say, hey, build a really cool sign and invite a really super big name speaker and have a super cool band and lights that are really cool. And oh, by the way, make sure you get a pastor who looks cool and then let them come in. You know what he said? He said, go, get out there. What do you do when you get out there? Make disciples. Ooh, you mean I got to, I got to tell people about you? Yeah. What do you baptize them? Oh, okay. Name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Wow, cool. And then what does he say? Teach them all those things I've taught you. And you can do that in community. You got to do that in community groups. So let me ask you this question. When the Bible says in Acts 2.47, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved, did it say they added to the church every Sunday or daily? So why wouldn't we want to live the word, why wouldn't we want to live community out there where daily it can happen? Let me wrap up with another question. I think it's relatively simple. What number is more important? The number of people who come in these doors or the number of people who go out committed 
to live this word? Which one's more important? Now, that's where you have a checkup. Do you want to brag that you're part of a big church? Or do you want to be humbled that you're part of church that's living to grow and know God more? And as for me and my house, and as for me and my church, let us be a people that long to be in the word and live like it out there. I really believe we want people to experience the reverence and the awe and the wonder of God. I believe we want you to experience reconciliation in your relationship with God first and those around you second. I really believe we want you to experience renewal when you're fighting with sin and addiction and and hurt and pain and sorrow and grief. We want you to experience the renewal from that. We want you to experience God's very best for you, His way, His timing, His grace, all poured out on you with love and with mercy. And I believe what we want to say is this. I believe we want to say, open up your heavens. We want to see you. Open up your heavens. We want to see you. I believe we want to say, God, I I don't want a little of you. I want the whole load. God, I don't want to know a verse or two. I want this to be a part of my DNA where I live it and I love it and I lead it and I'm being used by you to change the world. I don't think we want just a little bit of God. I think we want all of God. And the only way we do that is to live in his presence, to rest in his presence, to soak up his presence, to be in the presence of God. And the place we do that is when we get in his word and all of a sudden it takes hold of our heart and it digs deep roots. And before you know it, what happens is I'm alive in the presence of Jesus. And you know what I say? Open up the heavens. I want to see you. Father, in the name of Jesus, may we be a people that would dig into our community to know that we love you, that we're grounded in you, that our hope is in you, that all of tomorrow's promises are in you, that our sorrows can be washed away, that our hurts can be healed. God, what we long for is your best. Calls us to rise up and live this life that you might look at and say, that is worthy of blessing. God, pour your best on us. Open up the heavens that we might see you. Lord, again, open up your heavens that we might see you. And Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus.